In 2014, I was medically retired from the Marine Corps. The post-traumatic stress, the depression, the anxiety, the physical brokenness was such that it was deemed I could no longer do my job. And so the United States government decided that, you know what, you're too broken to fix, and it was better to retire me and to move on to the next serial number. But not only was my heart in despair over the trauma of war, a miscarriage, and the death of friends, either in combat or due to suicide. But now, on top of that, I lost my career. But I can tell you without any shred of doubt that all of these things happened while I was a believer. But it felt as if darkness had surrounded me and it was in this context that God began to work in that season of my life by showing me that he was passionate about me in the midst of my despair. And when I got out of the military, there was this central question in my heart, which was this. What does the Bible have to say about these things? Like surely God knows what's going on in the heart of his people. And so when I got out, I went to the church and I asked this pastor, what does the Bible have to say about those things? To which he responded, I don't know. And I left that man's office discouraged and hopeless. But by the grace of God, there was another man waiting for me in the hallway who did know, who opened God's word and gave me hope and direction confidence that the Bible does speak to these things. And so church has been on my heart to not be a pastor who's unable to give you an answer if you came into my office, but to be an, a pastor who can stand in confidence on the word of God that he speaks to these things, which he does. He says a lot of things about depression and today we're going to cover just a couple of those things. Now, I don't want to be naive here about this topic. There are many dimensions encompassing this issue from genetic to dietary to exercise to trauma to demonic harassment to relational stress, maybe financial burdens to sinful entanglements to sleepless nights and on and on and on. It is a complex issue, but nonetheless, God speaks to us about them. What I know is that just because you're a Christian does not mean that you are not dealing with this issue like I did. And it may feel right now for you that you have no hope, that there's no light and there's no end in sight for you. But although it may be something that you struggle with forever like a thorn in your flesh, I want to give you confidence this morning that God has not abandoned you, that he speaks to these things, that he give us, gives us direction for what we can do in the midst of despair. God does have an answer for the 20-plus veteran suicides a day. He does have an answer for the 132 suicides in America every day. He does have an answer for 7% of all adult Americans dealing with depression right now. 
and he speaks to the 14% of active duty service members struggling with depression today. We can have confidence in our God. And it is my hope today that through this little passage and this little book from this minor prophet, Haggai, that you will leave here today with your confidence in God and direction for how to navigate in the season you're in and the season you're headed to or this season your children one day will be in the midst of. How will you shepherd them when they are depressed? So the situation for our text today is this. This is helpful to understand the biblical context, right? The Israelites have been set free by the Persian emperor, King Darius. If you recall the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah, the Israelites returned home to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. But before they were to build their homes, they were called to rebuild the temple of God. Well, I don't know if you know this or if you read this Bible, you'll learn it very quickly. The people of God, we tend to get hopeless really quick. We, we, we tend to fall out of what we've been commanded to do. And so enter Haggai. The people have abandoned the building of the temple and have begun building their own homes and their own things. And so Haggai, the prophet of God, has been sent to remind them of their calling to call upon Israel's leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, to rebuild the temple of God. However they quickly realize that no matter their efforts, what's ahead of them, no matter how hard it is, or no matter what, they're not going to be able to restore this temple to its former glory when Solomon built it. And so this for them causes depression and sadness and despair. They had woes, right? For their hope was in a building and not in who fills the building. So here in Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, we're going to glean three things to do in a season of depression that all draw strength from the Lord. God's going to tell us to be strengthened and fight, to be strengthened and to remember, and to be strengthened and hope. Look, look with me at verses 1 through 4. We're going to reread them. It's not that much anymore, right? On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, and to the remnant of the people. And he asked this question. Basically, who's old is what he's asking. And he says, who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? Even so. Everybody say, even so. Be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of armies. So what we tend to do in life is we place our hope in things that are not guaranteed. Just a side note, never put your hope in anything God has not guaranteed. It will fail you and your hope will be misplaced. 
And this is what the people of Israel had done. They had placed their hope in the former glory of Israel and of the temple, but God had not guaranteed this for them in the specific way that they desired. And so what they do? They quit. They gave up. They became apathetic. When the wave of depression crashes over us, what do we do? We tend to quit. We give up. We become lethargic. And for many, getting out of bed alone is beyond comprehension. Because your misplaced hopes have betrayed you. And so now what? Or maybe things didn't happen according to plan. So what do we do? How do we respond? And it may feel like right now you are drowning. What will you do? Well, the text would say to draw strength from God and work. Another way to say this with maybe some more teeth on it is to be strengthened and you fight. A good friend of mine uh, who's a retired Texas lawman, I like to say it that way, <laughs> sounds better. One day he got this call, this active shooter situation. He gets sent to this call, and him and his partner, like guns drawn, heat of the moment, ready to engage this suspect, and he remembers something. This fight that he had with his son earlier in that day where he had not handled conflict very well. And in his mind, he's like, I have to fix this right now because uh, I don't know what the next few moments are going to look like. So he got his partner's phone. He called home, called his wife, briefly described the situation, said, asked her to please tell their son that he loves him because God forbid something would happen in the next few moments. And his wife responded this way to him with a directive, with two words. She said, you fight and hung up the phone. Sometimes we simply need to remember the task at hand. When you are facing despair, church, look at me. You fight. You don't give up because this too shall pass. But in the meantime, you must fight. Now, cool, Pastor Neil, that's awesome. Fight. How do I do that? Well, I want to give you four ways to fight as we move through the text. First way we fight effectively in a battle such as this is we pray. We cry out to God for help. It's a common theme in Scripture. Character after character after character in the Bible, when it faced with extreme adversity, despair, hardship, whatever, they cry out to God in their distress. And guess what? God shows up. He shows up every time, and He shows up in your life. Christ Community Church, how do you pray? Do you pray the Scriptures? Do you cry out to your Heavenly Father, the Maker of heaven and of earth? Or do you quit and disappear into yourself? The first way we fight is we pray. We seek the Lord's face. And the second way we fight well is we preach. We preach to ourselves. You speak truth into your life from God's word. What do you preach to yourself matters. Now, it is insufficient to say nice things about yourself when you're sad or when you're depressed. Like prosperity gospel preachers peddle over and over again. Look yourself in the mirror. You are beautiful. You are this. You are that. It's insufficient when you're depressed and the weight of the world is pushing you down. Is it not? 
What you need is the all-sufficient word of God. You need truth. David gives us this example time and time after again in the Psalms of him preaching truth to himself. When Saul's bearing down on him, when he's slinging spears at him, when he's trying to take his life, he preaches truth. A great example is from Psalm 73, 23 through 26, when David said, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, when all this passes, you will take me up into glory. Who do I have in heaven but you on earth? There's nothing I desire from you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are my strength in my heart, my portion forever. That's how you preach to yourself in these moments of despair. The third thing you do to fight well, you must do, is worship. Commit yourself to the weekly gathering of worship. It is here at the pulpit where we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed. The hope of our salvation, the light to the darkness. It's here where we hear the praises to the king of the universe that ministers to our hearts. It is here where we see the body of Christ and commune with the saints. We hold fast to truth together on the Lord's day. And sometimes you're just making it to Sunday, but you need it. To fight well, you must be in the corporate body of Christ. And fourth, accountability. To fight well, you need accountability. Walk in accountability. Who fights in your corner? Who is your cornerman? The term cornerman is used for the coach who sits outside of the ring as the fighter engages in his battle. And what he does is he sees what's going on with a different perspective. And he makes adjustment to the fighter so the fighter doesn't get knocked out, right, or choked out, depending on what sport you're watching. We need cornermen, the person who would pray on your behalf, who would remind you of truth when you've given up, the person who will come to your house and pull your butt out of bed and pull you into the sunlight. Simple things like that. You need those people in your corner who are watching you. Now, I learned the other side of the story of my friend, the retired police officer, from his son. And his son was there when his mother hung up the phone. And what his son remembers is his mom saying, you fight, hanging up the phone, and weeping, praying fervently for her husband, crying out to God in her distress. God, protect my husband. And she did not stop praying until she found out he was okay. Who is interceding for you? Who is in your corner? We draw strength from the Lord to work or to fight, but we do it with the confidence because look at verse 4. We're reminded, here's where we get our confidence, that God is with you. He is with you. And this is something we must remember. We must be strengthened and remember things like this. Look at verse 5. It says, this is the promise I made to you when you came out of where? Egypt. And my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. 
What's so interesting in verse 5 is what God reminds Israel of. The promise that he made when they came out of Egypt. This is interesting to me because they just came out of Babylonian exile. Like why did God not say, this is the promise I made to you when you came out of Babylon? That just happened, right? I think the answer is because God wants them and to us to remember what he has been doing since the beginning. Promising his spirit, replacing fear with courage, and being a continual rescuer. When we are dealing with depression, we have to remember the works of God because he is immutable. He is unchanging. He is the same yesterday and today. And so there are four things I want you to remember that God has done for you when you are in the season, Christian. Number one, remember your salvation. The other day, my oldest, Michael, he was doing his devotional. And uh, it has like an application each, each reading and tells him to do something, right? And this one, it said, go ask your parents how they came to know Jesus. And so Michael runs upstairs like, Papa, I have a question for you, right? And uh, I go, shoot, bud, I'm sitting on my bed. And he says, how'd you come to know Jesus? And a wave of emotions just hit me because I remember in 1995 when my dad sat me on his bed and shared the gospel with me where I realized the weight of my sin and that I could not save myself, that I was broken and dead in my sin and I needed something outside of myself that I could not provide for me to fix me, to fix this brokenness. And that was Jesus. And I remember my dad telling me how Jesus on the cross bridges this chasm and it's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we come into a relationship with the Father and there is no other way. I remember the prayer of asking God to forgive me of my sins and telling him I trust you, I hope in you, I believe. Help me walk the rest of my days. I remember it like vividly and it makes me think when we get in these moments of depression where we stop remembering what God has done, how God has saved you. When you feel, when you're having a hard time loving your spouse, a lot of times, you know, we like to have amnesia. What helps is we go, man, I remember the first time I told you I love you. I remember when I got down on one knee and asked you to marry me, or for ladies. I remember when you, I said yes. Hopefully that's how that worked in your relationship. <laughs> and in you, your emotions are stirred up for one another. And when you remember your salvation, you remember the love that God poured out on you in that moment where you realized you were saved. Remember your salvation. Also remember God's hand in the different events of your life. There's a therapy I did a long time ago uh, at the VA or the Naval Hospital. I don't remember who it was. It's called exposure therapy. And this essentially is to help you process things that you've experienced, these horrible things, right? And also to help push you into uncomfortable spaces until they come, become bearable, right? And so, like, guys with post-traumatic stress, like Walmart's the enemy, okay? And so they'll be like, go to the parking lot, you know, go outside the door, 
go inside the door. Okay, do one lap and go out home, you know, and they just keep working you through that process, right? But one of the things they had me do was journal all of the horrible things that ever happened to me, basically. And because, uh, you know, when you write, it helps you process. And so I'm doing this. I'm writing these things out. And I think there's, there's just one area they're missing, and it's, it's in the area of, of God. And I challenge guys who do that today to go back and look at those horrible events, that, that event that's been weighing your heart down like a heavy foot. Go back with a red pen and highlight the ways you see God working in your past. How did God sustain you? How did he rescue you? How did he give you breath that day? How did he keep you alive? Don't miss his hands have been all over every horrible thing you've ever experienced. He has been with you. Remember the mercies of God. Remember your most recent mercies. Colossians 4 tells us to stay alert with thanksgiving. Maybe that looks like when your friend called to check up on you or when God gave you peace to your spirit, even if it was just for a moment. Or maybe it was when he resolved an issue or a conflict. And we are promised by God that his mercies are anew each day. He is presently blessing you with his grace right now. And so stay alert and be thankful. Remember his mercies and remember and recall that his spirit is present among you. Acts 1-8, this, like one of the like top three evangelistic verses in the Bible says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But what strikes me about that text is he says, you will receive power. Where? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you from the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God resides in you, he empowers you to, to make it, to keep taking steps. Don't forget that you have been empowered by the Spirit of the Most High God. Sometimes we'll be so depressed, it will seem as if darkness will not lift. But we draw strength from the Lord to fight, to remember, and lastly, to hope. Look with me at verses 6 through 9. For the Lord of armies says this, Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place, says the Lord of armies. What God promises the people of Israel is that he will provide. He provides the wealth to fund the temple from the nations that he gave the wealth to. He promises to fill this house with his glory. And he promises to provide peace through the ultimate indestructible temple that he will one day in the future of this text provide in Jesus Christ. 
Sometimes depression feels like endless darkness. But if we truly hope in Christ, church, then depression is more like a solar eclipse. And as the earth is engulfed in the shadow cast by the moon, so at times the brokenness of the world will cast a shadow upon you. But as the earth continues to move by the will of the Father who is sovereign over all things, light shines and it beats back the darkness. Ultimately, depression is a reflection of the greatest enemy, sin and death. The greatest darkness. And it is the Son of God who is the light to the darkness. John 1, 4 and 5, church, hide this in your heart. It says, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness. And yet the darkness did not overcome it. And on the darkest day in history, when Jesus died, when hopelessness reached its climax, we see the fulfillment of this prophecy by our prophet Haggai and are reminded by Jesus in John 2.19 where he says, if you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up. To which he does. Giving hope to the hopeless conquering what we cannot. So my question for you, Christian, is whom do you cling to? For me, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. So hope in Christ. And let me remind you that our Savior has sent you a counselor in the Spirit to comfort, to guide you, to convict you, to remind you of the mercies of God. And Christ, your Savior, is also advocating for you right now, relentlessly interceding for you. That is who our Savior is. But I want to call you to do more, though. Don't just hope. Trust. What's the difference between hoping and trusting? Trusting God puts action to your hope. To trust means you must draw near to God and engage in the body of Christ. We, we draw near to God like Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says that we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in every way we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne room of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The word sympathize literally means to suffer with. Christ suffers with you when you suffer. What that means is that when you draw near to him in your despair or your depression, what occurs is much like what's known as sympathetic resonance. Sympathetic resonance is, for example, if you took two pianos, not keyboards, pianos, and you butt them up against each other, and you play one chord on one piano, on the other piano, the same chord will resonate ever so slightly. When you suffer, Christian, it resonates with Jesus. It strikes a chord with him. He is that connected to you. The second way we trust is by engaging the body of Christ. 
and depression, you do not have to bear this alone. Let me tell you something. You have elders who pray for you relentlessly by name for your children because Pastor Stephen and I, we love you. We are committed to you and we will contend with you. When you're in a valley and when you're on the mountaintop, it does not matter. That is our heart for you. That is our church's membership covenant. That one's hanging on the wall of my office. And often I look at it and I remember what it means to be a member here at Christ Community Church. If you're a member here of this church, you have affirmed and signed this covenant that we make with one another. And it says some things about member care. It says that we will walk together in genuine brotherly love as becomes the members of a local church. We will pray for and serve one another, exercising an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and reject all opportunities to speak or hear gossip or slander. Instead, we will seek to encourage one another and to build each other up in the faith. We will rejoice with those who rejoice and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. That is what it means to be a member of Christ Community Church. Look around. Members care for members. We covenant with one another in this way. And at Christ Community Church, that's what we do. We walk with each other. And so you are not alone if you are a part of this body. In depression, what we will do is we will seek to avoid and to isolate and disappear, become a ghost, especially when you're in this place around a bunch of other people. You will not survive this way. But you must know that this church will seek you out, will pray for you, and will walk with you through the fiercest of storms. And I can say this with confidence because I have seen it with my own eyes and I've experienced it myself. That is who our body is. It's in our DNA. So, how do you trust in God? You draw near to him. And you engage the body of Christ and walk together. But I want you to remember this one thing, the singular thing about God as we leave. No matter your season of discouragement or depression, know this, God is still on the throne. Let's pray.